today, Pastor Javen begins a new series called Authentic Christianity, where we will see that to truly believe in Christ means to follow Christ. So take a moment now and prepare your heart for today's service. You know, there is a, um, there's a reality television show that's been on TV for well over 20 years now. Uh, this, this show, it kind of has a formula. The formula of the show goes where you've got someone that always tries to, they win a competition to gain control for the week. And then, uh, then they will nominate two people that they hope to see leave the game. Uh, and then there's another competition for these people to try to save themselves. But again, eventually they get to the end of that week and, uh, they're voting to who leaves the game, who leaves the competition. And the, the live show for that, that series, the live show, when it comes on every night, the host starts the show for that night by telling you what's about to happen, what's about to take place on that evening. And then they'll say this phrase and they actually pop up a hashtag on the screen and it, it, it begins to trend on social media, this, this, this phrase. And they'll say, but first, right? But first. And then they go in to explain what has been taking place and they let us see what's been taking place. That phrase, but first, is, is kind of becoming a more popular phrase. If you're a coffee drinker, poss- you've possibly seen that phrase pop up on memes, coffee mugs, shirts, Signs and coffee shops all over the place. What does it say? But first, coffee, right? And that's how many of you start your day. You wake up and you're like, but first, coffee. Don't talk to me. Don't do anything to me. Don't look at me. But first, coffee, right? That's kind of the mentality that we will go into our day with. We're starting a new series today. We have uh, we finished up Genesis last week. Uh, we're starting a new series today. It's called Authentic Christianity. And I know to hear that, to see that, you're, you're probably thinking, Javen, are you implying that there's a such thing as a fake Christianity? I want to, uh, to first say, I want to say from the very beginning, that I cannot stand in the place, nor would I ever want to stand in the place or try to stand in the place of judge over someone's soul and over someone's salvation. That, that's not my goal. That's not what my purpose is. Um, but I do want to challenge us as we go into the series. I want to challenge us on how we receive our salvation and how we walk in our salvation. When we choose to say that I believe that Jesus Christ is my Savior and the Lord of my life. When he was nearing the end of one of his most famous sermons, the one that has the name that everybody, most everyone knows, it's the Sermon on the Mount. When Jesus is getting near the end of that message that he's speaking, we see it in Matthew chapter 7. He begins to, uh, to, to kind of caution his listeners about people who proclaim to walk in the name of the Lord. And he uses this phrase when he's talking about those who walk with the Lord. He, he says this. He's, it's in Matthew chapter 7, verse 20. He says, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, so you can identify people by their actions. So what Jesus is saying is he's saying that there is a fruit about us that will be displayed if we follow Christ, if we follow God, right? That's what he's saying. And then he makes this very hard, very straightforward statement that, 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 that can be very convicting. He says, not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my father in heaven will enter. That's a pretty strong statement, is it not? So I want to challenge us as we go into this series to remember as followers of Christ, choosing to believe in Christ as Savior should lead us to follow Christ as Lord. Right? James, the brother of Jesus, in his letter that he wrote to his listeners, 
he writes this statement and he says, he says, you say you have faith because you believe that there's only one true God. James is not negating this statement. James is not negating the fact that faith in Christ is what saves us. But he is also making a point. He says, you say you believe in God and you believe that he is one true God. Then he says this, good for you. Even the demons believe that. Faith is important. We are saved by faith alone and nothing else. It's not our acts that save us. It's not the the law that we follow that saves us. It is our faith in Jesus Christ that brings us salvation. Faith is important. Faith in Christ, faith in his ability. Jesus talked a lot about faith, but he also talks about our following and what happens when we follow. It's a life change. It's a transformation. Paul said it this way. We are saved by faith to do, right? So Jesus has called us to follow him because we believe in him. And the following Christ means that we put him first. The following Christ means that we serve the purposes of the kingdom of heaven. The following Christ means that we build one another up. The following of Christ means that we take up our own cross. So as we jump into today, in today's first part of this series, we're going to go over this for four weeks. The the, the first thing that, that I want us to do today, the mentality that I want to walk out of here with this morning, my hope is this, is that when we wake up every morning, when we live every day of our life, that we have a mentality, but first, Jesus. But first, Jesus. In Paul's letter to the church of Colossae, as we saw in the text that Kirsten read for us this morning, he hits this fact that Jesus Christ is first and should always be first. Right? So let's jump into that. Let's see what he's saying. Paul says that Jesus, in the translation that we read, he says that he is the supreme over all creation. You may have a translation that says that he is the firstborn of all creation. What does he mean by that? What does that mean? That word that's firstborn or translated supreme is a word that where we get the, uh, where we think of position. He takes the first position. It's actually the word from that Greek word, uh, uh, prototokos, is where we get our English word prototype. So in other words, Jesus is the prototype of everything. He is the prototype of creation. He is the template on which all things were created. And he is the one whom which all things were created for. We talked about this in our Genesis series at the very beginning when we looked at creation, right? We, we said that we are created by Christ for Christ, right? That's what we said we were created for. Were you created for your parents? Were you created for your spouse? Were you created for your children? Were you created for the people you work for? Were you created for the people that work for you? Were you created for your job? No. You were created by Christ and for Christ. All of those things have a place, but you were created by Christ and for Christ. The thing is, our primary purpose is to know and discover his will in regards to where he's placed us, when he's placed us, and who he's placed us around. We find his will in all of that and we live that will out every day because we're only fulfilled when we know him and we're living his purposes and where he's, where he's placed us, when he's placed us and to whom he's placed us, right? We're created by Christ. We're created for Christ. We, you, you see the phrase uh, uh, in verse 18, he says, we, he is the supreme over uh, all who rise from the dead. Other translations say he is the firstborn of resurrection. In other words, 
He is the prototype of resurrection. Others had been resurrected before Christ. We saw it, we see it throughout the New Testament. Jesus plays a part in that. But Jesus is the prototype for our resurrection. He is the pattern by which the rest of us will experience resurrection. In Paul's letter, he is essentially saying Jesus is first. Jesus is first. He is the creator of everything. And that means Jesus is not one of many beautiful things that God created. He is the creating force and purpose behind all of the creation. And not only is Paul saying that Jesus is first, Paul is saying that Jesus went first. Paul is reminding us that God pursued a relationship with us when many of us, when many of the many people in humanity weren't even looking for a relationship with God, God pursued a relationship with humanity. Through Jesus Christ, Jesus went to a bloody cross and he experienced torture and humiliation to purchase our freedom from sin and to reconcile us back with our Heavenly Father, with our Creator. He pursued us. And because Jesus is first and because Jesus went first, then we should put Jesus first in our lives. For those that have never given their life to Christ, that is a call. That is a call. That when you receive Jesus Christ, when you come to Christ, you receive him as your savior, but you receive him as your Lord as well. You understand that there is no deity in any other religion. There is no other religious figure that is first born before all things and went first to gain your salvation. No one. John, a man who walked with Jesus Christ, a man who heard the teachings of Jesus Christ, a man who experienced the death of Jesus Christ on the cross, but who witnessed the resurrection of Jesus Christ, a man who watched Jesus ascend into heaven. He said this about Jesus. He said, Jesus existed in the beginning with God and everything was created through him. He gives life to everything that was created. And he is the light that is able to shine into your darkness. That's who Jesus is. When you continue reading the words of John, you see where John quotes Jesus at one point when Jesus is talking to people around him and Jesus looks at people and he says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, Jesus said. No one comes to the Father except through me, Jesus said. He is the only way. He is in the first position. It is Jesus Christ. That means there is also no other person. There is no other thing There is no other identity in addition to Jesus that you add to Jesus. There's no prophet. There's no teacher. There's no leader. There's no anyone that you add to Jesus. It is Jesus. He is your way to salvation. And that means that you come to Jesus first. You give him your life. And then you put him first in your life. Jesus Christ is not meant to be one of many important priorities in your life. Listen, he's not just an important chapter or important segment of the book that we have. The Bible, the word of God. The, 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 Jesus is not just in the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He is the central theme and figure that this whole thing is written about. Everything in him points to, everything in there points to Jesus Christ. And if that is our theology then that has to be important to our life as well. 
So it's, it's just as Paul said in his, in his letter to the Colossae, he says, he is first in everything. Some translations say preeminent. That means he's the foundation. He is the center of everything. So let this question, this question challenges me. Let this question challenge you. Is Jesus important to your life? That's good. Is he first? Those are two different things. We understand that, right? Is he first in your affections? Is he first in your obedience? The, the, the things that you choose, the way you choose to live your life, the choices that you make. Is he first in your priorities, the agenda that you set for your life? Is he first in that? Do you give Jesus your first and your best of your life? Do you see the actions that you do every day, the, 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 the words that you, you make to others every day? Do you see those as an offering to Christ? See, here's what we're prone to do in our life. Don't you love visuals? Let's do, let's do a visual. Here's what we're prone to do in our life. We're prone to compartmentalize our life, right? Now, we've got a, we've got a faith bucket, and, and, and let, we just need to, to, to define faith real quick because faith, we, it's, it's more than, than church, right? It's more than that. It's more than the things that you do. You can put your faith in anything. Your faith, when we think of faith, it's got to be in Christ, right? You put your faith in the church, the church is going, sadly, the church will eventually let you down in some way. You put your faith in a leader, a pastor. I I don't do it intentionally. None of the pastors on the staff, I don't think a pastor in, in, in any church intentionally, I hope not in any church intentionally tries to let you down. But at some point in time, that probably would happen, right? Faith is in Christ. Christ will never let you down, right? So that, that's, the faith has to be in Christ. But then, but we've also, we've got our other compartments in life. We've got our relationships, right? We've, this is our, we've got our family. We've got our friends. We've got the people that we work with. We've got those relationships. So, so we put those things and we've got that compartment in our life. We've got, we've got our career, right? We've got the place that we work. We've got the place that we go to most every day of our life. It feels like the majority of our life is felt right there at our career, right? Once we graduate and once we get or get out in the working world and, and we're doing the things, this is it, right? Some of these things might intermingle, right? Where they, these, we, our relationships might intermingle a little bit. We'll intermingle our faith into that a little bit. We've got, I just wrote hobbies on here, but this can be pretty much anything else about your personal, even your private life. That could just be the things that you enjoy. We got those things. We try to escape this. Maybe we try to escape these and we don't enjoy this over here. Right. And, and so we got that compartment. Then we've got another compartment. I call this security because we're, we're trying to build towards a future. We want to be our future to be secure. We want to, to invest. We want to, to make sure everything is if we got kids, we want to make sure everything is great for them. We're trying to build towards something. And these things may intermingle from time to time, right? But if these things are separate compartments and we live a compartmentalized life, then what happens is the things that we do according to our faith, they just become things we do. Because none of this other stuff is a part of our faith. But this is not what it's called to be because God has not called us to religion. He's called us to surrender. And see, if we try to pick up all of these different compartments of our life and we try to carry these things in our life, you know, maybe we can carry these things, but it it becomes cumbersome trying to carry these things, doesn't it? 
apart from Christ. That's a big word. Are you impressed? I use the word cumbersome. But if we do, if we say, but first Jesus, and we take our relationships and we put them in Christ, we take our life, we take everything we do, our private life, we put it in in Christ, we take our, our, our future, the security of it, our children's future, we put it in Christ, we take our career, our job, and we see it as a calling, we put it in Christ, then everything might not be easy, right? But, but he says, you come to me and I will give you rest. He makes you better at carrying these things in life, right? But we, we, so don't compartmentalize. Everything has got to be in Christ. But first, Jesus, again, during, during the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus, it's not about legalism. Jesus didn't make it about legalism. When, when he was teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus spoke towards his position about the law. He challenged the proud. He challenged the legalistic and he, he emphasized the importance of heartfelt obedience to the father of heartfelt relationship of surrender to God, that it is different from religious observance. And that was the point that Jesus was making. But throughout his teaching, he would make reference to some of the most famous commandments. He would say, you heard it said, don't murder. That's in the 10, right? You heard it said, don't commit adultery. That's in the 10. All throughout Jesus's life and his teaching, all throughout the apostles in the early church, these guys would make references back to these commandments. But the perspective that we have when we look at these things is not the perspective that says, I follow these commandments in order to earn salvation. The perspective that we look at these things is we say, these are directives that came from God to establish principles in our life in how we live. Because all of those things, they were about relationship. They were about relationship with God. They were about relationship with others. And so when we look at those things as principles and directives, we can say, if I just, if I consider these things in that way, then it's going to make me better. It's going to strengthen my relationship with God. It's going to strengthen my relationship with others. And that's exactly what Jesus summed it all down to, right? He said, it all comes down to this, love God with everything and love others. That's what it comes down to. Now, this is interesting. When you look back at this time, after God gave the commandments to Moses, these first 10 laws. We see it in Exodus chapter 20. He gives them these laws and then he goes to walk away and, and scripture says you, you hear thunder, you hear lightning and you hear all this stuff going on and the people are scared. <laughs> They're freaked out, right? They're like, whoa, that's God? Okay, Moses, they, say, they tell him, all right, you go talk to God and then you come back and tell us what God said, Right? You, you go talk to God because that kind of, that scares us a little bit. So you go talk to God and you come back and you tell us what it said, what he says. Years later, David would write these words in Psalm 103, Psalm 103, verse seven. He said this, he said, God revealed his character to Moses and his deeds to the people of Israel. Now, when you think back to that moment when God was talking to the people and they saw his power, and they feared. And then they told Moses, you go and hear from God and come back and tell us. It gives a unique understanding of this verse and this statement. The, the children of Israel saw the works of God, and that's great. They saw what God did. 
But Moses knew why God did what God did. Because Moses searched the heart of God. Moses wanted to know God. What did Jesus say? Those who know me. We have got to put ourselves in a place where we push ourselves, not wanting, not just wanting to see God's acts, not just wanting to see God do something. We need to put ourselves in a place where we are seeking to know God, to know his heart. Because when we do see God moves, it makes move, it makes that move that much more powerful. Because we understand the heart of God. But you think back to those commands when when God gave them. It was the very first thing that God said. Exodus chapter 20, verse 3. He said, you must not have any other God but me. Plain and simple. Right? He is first. He is the prototype of everything. He has the first position in your life. So when you go back to the Sermon on the Mount and Jesus is doing all of these teachings... We get to this one statement in Jesus' teaching that I believe kind of acts as a thesis. I, I believe it could stand as a thesis for everything that Jesus is teaching. We see it in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. He makes this statement. He says, seek the kingdom of God above all else. Some translations say it this way. Seek first the kingdom of God. And then what does he say after that? Live righteously and he will give you everything you need. Seek first his kingdom. Seek first his righteousness, but first, Jesus. The context of that teaching was coming in in, in a part when Jesus was talking and he was talking about the things that we worry about. In the context of what Jesus was talking about, he said, he's talking about what you wear and he's talking about food and things of that nature. And we worry about those things in our life. But you think about so many things that we worry ourselves over. We worry ourselves over so many things in this life and understandably so. There are things that I get caught up in my life worrying myself over. And when we, when we look back at our buckets and we compartmentalize our life, there's so many things within here that we can worry about. But Jesus says, you seek first his kingdom. What is his kingdom? It's him. It's his teachings. It's his rule is is his authority. It's the way he's called us to live. It's it's the direction that he's given us for this life. You seek those things first. You're going to, you're going to get better at handling these things. Hudson Taylor, he was a incredible missionary to China in the late 1800s. He made this statement and I believe it says it very beautifully. Not that we can add any more beauty to the words of Jesus, but I just, I love his quote. He said, let us give up our work, our thoughts, our plans, ourselves, our lives, our loved ones, our influence, our all right into the hands of Jesus. And then we, when we have given all over to him, there'll be nothing left for us to trouble about or to make trouble about. But first, Jesus one of the most famous paintings of the, uh, of the Lord's Supper is a painting that was done by Leonardo da Vinci. Maybe you've seen this painting. I think I brought it with me. Maybe you've seen that. In the painting, you'll notice there's nothing in the hands of Jesus. When da Vinci first painted this, there's a story that, that, that is told through history of, of when he painted this painting. 
He had it originally painted. He brought in a guy that he had utmost respect for when it comes to art and things like that. And he brought him in and said, look at this painting and tell me what you think about this painting. The guy looked at the painting. He looked at the, 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 the artistry of it. And he said, this is a beautiful painting. I love this painting. And then he made a comment. He said, the cup that you've painted in Jesus's hand, that's one of the most beautiful paintings of a cup I've ever seen. It is just gorgeous. Well, that statement immediately disappointed Da Vinci, history says. That Da Vinci took up a brush and he began to paint the cup out of the painting. And they, they, they say that the guy asked, why are you doing that? That is a beautiful part of the painting. And Da Vinci responds, he said, because there should be nothing in this painting that takes you away from the figure of Christ. You think about your life. It's so easy to happen because of life, because of the busyness of life. What has become more important to you than Christ, than your relationship with Christ? What in your life is taking the attention off of Christ that you need to paint out, crop out? Because nothing should distract your life from Christ. What do we do if we realize that something has become more important than Christ? I want us to go together to the end of the book, Revelation chapter 2. Jesus is speaking to John and he's giving him these visions and he, tells, he begins to talk about seven churches. And he begins to tell him to write these words to the church in Ephesus. Revelation chapter two, verse two, he says, I know all the things you do. I've seen your hard work and your patient endurance. I know that you don't tolerate evil people. You've examined the claims of those who say they're apostles, but they're not. You've discovered they are liars. You have patiently suffered for me without quitting. He's praising all of those things that they do. Then he says this, but I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. Other translations say you have lost your first love. Look how far you've fallen. Other translations say remember where you've fallen from. Turn back or repent. Turn back to me and do the works you did at first. If you don't repent, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place among the churches. See, here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, look, you are taking care of good things. You're doing good things, but you're doing those things at the expense of the best thing. He's telling them, he's praising them for all of these things that they did. And then he throws in that three-letter word. But, don't you love it when that happens? When someone's talking to you and building you up and letting you know how great of a job you did at something or how great this was or how what fun that was or whatever. And you can just feel it coming. But, it's for a purpose. Jesus is telling them, look, you've got things out of order. 
Do you remember these equations from math? Do you remember you remember these? Uh, it's called an orders of operation equation, right? And, and and if you remember math, which I don't, but if you if you remember math, you can't just go into this and start it, right? You've got to do things in the right sequence. PEMDAS, right? You got to start with the parentheses. Then you go to the exponents. And when it comes to uh, the, the multiplication, division, addition, subtraction, multiplication or division comes first. You start from left going right. Then addition or subtraction comes next, starting left going right. Right? So the sequence is important in trying to figure out the equation. Because you can jump into this and you can, you can just do the problem and you can get some of the math right. But if you don't do it in the right sequence, the final solution is wrong. And you failed the test. Jesus is telling them, look, you have gotten so busy doing things for me. But you're doing them without me. You're doing the right things, but you've got the equation all wrong and the whole thing is messed up. But first, Jesus. <laughs> Jesus is saying, look, he, he would probably say to us, look, I'm glad you read your Bible. I'm glad you pray. I'm, I'm glad that you go to church. I'm glad that you serve. I'm glad that you give. I'm glad that you do things. But if you're doing them without a relationship with Christ, the equation is messed up. Jesus has to come first. If we're just doing activities for Christ and suppressing our intimacy with Christ, it's not about relationship, it's about performance. But first, Jesus. D.A. Carson, when he talks about what's happening in the Ephesus, he makes this statement. He said, they still proclaim the truth but they no longer passionately love him who is the truth. They still perform good deeds, but no longer out of love, no longer out of brotherhood, no longer out of compassion. They preserve the truth and witness courageously, but they forget that love is the greatest witness of truth. Chuck Swindoll Simply said it this, they had everything but the greatest thing. And what did Paul tell us that the greatest thing was? He said, these three things remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. He says, in fact, you can operate in the gifts that the Spirit has given you to operate in. And if you operate in those gifts without love for Christ and love for others in your life, you are nothing but a resounding gong. You're making a lot of noise. He goes on and Paul says in one of his letters, he says, we should be compelled. We should be controlled. We should be held together. We should be urged. We should be motivated by love. What love? Love for Christ and the love of Christ. So what do we do if we realize that we've put something else more important than our love for Christ and the love of our Christ being lived, love of Christ being lived out in our life? What do we do? 
Jesus gave the church three things. Did you catch them? Remember, repent, and do. Remember. Remember the one who has first place. Remember the one who is of most importance. Remember the one who is the prototype for everything. Remember that love. Remember the love that Christ pursued you with. Remember the love that Christ saved you with. Remember the love that Christ has called you to. Remember that. Rehearse it over and over every day of your life. But first, Jesus and his love. Remember it. And then repent. Turn from the direction that you're going. And turn to him. That's repentance. He's saying you need to remember the purpose and the priority so that you can change the purpose and the priority that you have now to where it needs to be. And then he says, do. He says, do what you're supposed to do first. Love him. Love Christ Make him first in your life and then do all that you're doing out of his love and out of love for him. He doesn't say stop doing. He doesn't say stop doing all the things that I praised you for doing. He just says you need to do first what's supposed to be first. And that's love Christ. God wants us to do things for him. But the things that we do can never take the place of the center of who it's about, who is first, who is foremost in our faith, and that's Jesus. That's what he's done for us. But first, Jesus. So is he important? Is he first? He's got to be first in our life. If you need prayer in any way today, we would love for you to reach out to us. You can go to our website, bwccamden.com, go to our contact page. You'll find the link there to uh, request prayer or send us anything that you uh, would like to communicate with us today. Or you can also simply text the word prayer to 803-676-7566. And we will be back in touch with you to find out how we can be in prayer for you. God bless you. We hope that you have a great week.